0: 41 games. There's been players that have driven a guy headfirst through the boards and ended his career
1: and didn't get 41 games. Hello and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler Hoskin Hardcore LLP. Today I'm your host Mark Silver. So I'm actually pinch hitting for Steve who has somehow misplaced his voice. He's taking all the right medication and I trust he'll be back in action not before too long. We are joined by regular contributor Amanda Brewer, and we're also here with Phil Gray, who announced yesterday that he has uh, left his gig as the head of trading operations at Sports Interaction after nearly two decades. But first, what we'd like to talk about today is the National Hockey League announced last week that a 41-game suspension has been issued to Ottawa Senators forward Shane Pinto for activities related to sports betting, and while the league isn't providing specifics about those activities, a negotiation has taken place uh, with the Players Association, and Pinto has apologized for his actions. Now, in the newsletter, which I'm sure everyone receives from GamingNewsCanada.ca, Steve wrote extensively about the suspension, both on Tuesday's edition, and then he wrote about it as well through our partnership with Bell Media and BNN Bloomberg on their business of sports section on their website. Steve has also spoke with industry leaders over the past week to say the story highlights the importance of regulated sports betting. And to help us better understand that, what we have today is a special guest in Jean-Francois Raymond, a former pro basketball player and today an education ambassador with the International Betting Integrity Association. So Jean-Francois, as we bring you up here, we want to thank you for being with us. We know that you've joined IBIA about a year and a half ago. And we wanted to give you the chance to start our conversation today by telling us about your role in the association and then a little bit more about the association in general.
2: Well, thank you very much and and good afternoon, everyone. Um,
1: So like like it was presented,
2: I was a professional basketball player myself. Then I worked for many years uh, in the player association movement at both uh, national and international level. And, uh, and during my, my time with the Player Association, we created, particularly in Europe, uh, education programs to um, help uh, athletes understand the risk of match fixing. And we, uh, we have built those programs with uh, the private betting operator, and uh, they were implemented all across Europe. Um, when I stopped working for the Player Association, uh, the, the betting operator reached out to me and, and asked me if I was interested in helping them. To set up similar programs in other parts of the world, and, and this is a, an issue really close to uh, to my my heart, and uh, I, I felt like it was a really good opportunity for me to continue to educate players on the risk of match fixing. So I've joined IBIA to be their education ambassador uh, a year and a half ago, and um, and uh, over the, the course of the last six eight months, we we also have developed a program, an education program for Canada, which I can talk about in a little bit.
1: You are a professional athlete um, that is uh, actually taking a leadership position, so you absolutely know what it's like to walk in these people's shoes. And we've definitely heard about it, especially when C218 was going through its rounds of uh, being put into law. We know that there's absolute concern about match fixing. But before the suspension, and it wasn't really match fixing, but the suspension we heard about in the NHL, we haven't recently seen too much coming out of Canada, but we do know Especially in the, in the world of football overseas, we, we, we have heard some challenging stories about how athletes uh, are, are breaking the rules. Are there examples, Jean-François, that you have kind of tip of your tongue to talk about uh, situations that uh, you look to as an opportunity to learn about what's going on right now on the ground You know, in the, in the world of professional sports that, that you can bring into your association?
2: Well, I I think there are plenty of examples that you can use. Um, On on my spare time, I work on a documentary on match fixing on the famous, maybe you heard about it, a football match between the national team of Togo and the national team of Bahrain uh, that took place in in 2010 and um, where they suspected the the national team to be a fake team, the national team of Togo to be a fake team. So with a few friends, uh, with no experience in making the documentary, we decided to travel to Togo and try to find... The players and the coaches, and and those examples were used by by FIFA at the time, the International Football Federation, and uh, and also Interpol to run their their seminar. The problem was that they they literally didn't. They only have one side of the story and not everything, and that was kind of uh, that was kind of bad because it was also hurting the players. You have cases in tennis that you've probably seen. You have cases in football in lower division, whether they are male or female competition. You also have cases in basketball. There is a famous uh, qualification uh, basketball match between Albania and the Netherlands that ended up in a score which is almost impossible to reach for a normal uh, senior uh, male uh, basketball team, Um, and no investigation has been made by by the governing body. So I think examples are there, and. uh, the monitoring that is done on competition by the operator really helps to to put the finger where the problems may may be and uh IBA is also publishing quarterly reports where they see anomalies on the betting market and i think also that this case the pinto case was brought up because the operator reported that uh, illegal activities uh through their own like channels and um and that's also part of the education and that's not the i mean it's one part of the education that. There is a reporting that is being done by the operator, operator if they see something suspicious, and uh, and then this this action comes next to like the face to face education that is in my opinion. Uh, should be mandatory for all athletes participating in a sporting competition.
1: I couldn't agree more. And thank you for the examples. It really helps our audience to contextualize the good work that you're doing. From my own personal experience, I have been involved in the past with the, the Canadian Premier League of Soccer and the launch of their betting deals and their integrity program. So I completely understand the need and the commitment of funds toward it. In our research for speaking with you today, Steve uh, had identified that, of course, you, your association is part of the, of the Canadian Gaming Association. And along with member operators and the ones that we have listed, there may be others, so this is not an exhaustive list perhaps, Bet365, Betway, and FanDuel. There's been several hundreds of thousands of dollars committed to... Canada-wide athlete uh, education. And if you could speak to, to this, Jean-Francois, help us understand the difference between the operators, the, the governing bodies of sport, and your association in, in the role of combating match-fixing.
2: Well, in, in my personal opinion, uh, a governing body cannot, cannot be the educator and also the organization that sanctions the player. You have to draw a line between the two because otherwise the, the player won't understand why they are giving you the information that you cannot bet on certain type of event, sporting event, or even on your competition. And uh, at the same time that the same person are going to sanction you for breaching the rules. So th- th- I think that's what the operator believe is important. So that's why we offer the possibility to sports sporting organization to help them to implement with me and with all the partners. And, and we are currently discussing uh, with PFA Canada to implement a project that directly relates to the sport that you were mentioning before. Uh, finding those key stakeholders who can who have access to the players, have the trust of the players, and, uh, and where they can deliver like a face-to-face, um, anonymous education session to the player where they can answer the, the, those the, their questions uh from my own experience i've done that myself for the french basketball uh, league and uh you would be surprised by the uh amount of questions that the player may have when you're doing a face-to-face education with them because they know more about um, sports betting than you think and uh they will have really really specific questions about how the market works and the type of bet they can place and the fact that they, if they bet on, on on multiple games at the same time, they may end up betting by inadvertence on on a, on a football match or basketball match or whatever they are playing, or ice hockey. And um, and I've been always really really surprised by this level of knowledge from their side. And actually, they do have a lot of time. You know, they spend a lot of time on their phone. They know the sports. They know the people. So they they have really easy access to information. And it, it's in my opinion really important for them to know what they should not do and what they cannot do because the league has a regulation and this regulation should be followed and the player should also understand that. But it, like the sanctioning part is important and it should be done by the league. There is no no question about that. But I truly believe that the education piece should be done by an independent
1: party. Thank you for the perspective. You're You're, you're on the ground here fighting the good fight. I'm going to invite Amanda and Phil, if they have questions for you directly, but before I open up the floor for them to ask questions, I will ask them both questions, which is about their experience from the operators that they've worked with. How has the role of the operator in match fixing um, uh, been displayed?
0: Yeah, I've I've been involved with uh, IBIA for um, the last uh, 18 months, I believe, almost um, as part of the uh, regulatory uh, compliance with Ontario to become part of that organization. And on a daily basis, uh, I mean, it's to a granular level, uh, Mark. Uh, boy, we get, uh, you know, a uh, couple of dozen alerts a day from events all over the world. And they are a mix of, um, you know, suspicious betting activity uh, that are reported by operators. And also, some you know, stuff in the news. Uh, a lot of that happened with, with eSports and Dota 2. Um, there was a big um, controversy about that. And a lot of those events were pulled. So certainly, uh, I can, you know, um, profess to, you know, the professionalism of IBIA and, and what they're providing to the operators that we didn't have before. I mean, a lot of the events, you know, they're, they're very small stake events, but uh, certainly they uh, boy, the, the uh, attention to detail and what it provides to operators for us to identify, you know, perhaps, you know, some of uh, the clients in our base that are uh, involved in uh, some fraudulent activity um, has certainly been uh, absolutely uh, beneficial i would say on the pinto case i mean i'm surprised i know at sports interaction he wouldn't have been able to sign up with us Um, that he would have been flagged in in the uh, process of of a creating account so i find that kind of interesting i don't know the details around all around everything that surrounds that i've asked around but everybody's kind of mum on it
1: it's funny how that happens sometimes maybe it's better that the pinto experience is used as an example um, rather than uh, attach it directly to to one operator. When we look at the, the example of Pinto and what we're talking about more broadly, the role of the operator kind of responding to this is it just part of business? You, you you know that there's there's some piece of the handle that you know might be unsettled and some money you might have to get back. How does it work kind of behind the scenes?
0: Well, it's, I mean it's it's extremely difficult. I mean we're you know you're operating twenty four seven on you know thousands of events from around the world. And a lot of those events, you're, you're dependent on on feed providers for the pricing, you know, and the posting of events. And, you know, you, you get human uh, you know, human hands touching software sometimes. Uh, there's errors and it, they're hard to spot sometimes. But I would say, again, you know, the daily correspondence I've had with IBIA, um, you know, dozens of alerts every day on, you know, events from across the world we would not have seen before. Now you know, ninety percent of them, you know, there's really nothing going on. But you know, again, I, I point to I point to um, what happened in uh, esports with Dota two. Um, I wouldn't have recognized that with the,
1: without their um, without their uh, notifications. Thanks, so No, appreciate the context. Always better to have these clear examples of you know what the operators are doing on a daily basis to make us understand. Just when you when you're regulated and you have a license, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of accountability that goes into that. Amanda, if I can, on this topic, if I can get you to put on your, maybe your CGA hat and, and enlighten us about, you know, the role of athlete education and how that, um, obviously supported by the CGA, but, you know, where where are kind of the lines of responsibility with, uh, in, in this category, as you, as you think about it from a CGA point of view?
3: So anything that helps to shine a light on all the nooks and crannies of this industry is a good thing. Like it was a year ago, almost um, December of last year, the AGCO, if you remember, decided to ban uh, UFC fighting because the UFC internally did not have appropriate standards to ensure, you know, for example, that their athletes weren't able to place bets or manipulate matches. There was no, you know, athlete education going on. So, it's all kind of working part and parcel, you know, as Phil was describing what goes on behind the scenes um, with all the alerts. I mean, who had access to any of that information before this market opened? So from an athlete education point of view, it's something that Paul Burns, who's the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, even pre-market opening was having discussions with Canadian Centre for um, Ethics and Sports with IBEA. Um, IBEA and the CGA have a member memorandum of understanding between them as well um, because it's something that is the other side of this coin as well if we're going to regulate the market if we're going to put safeguards in place if we're going to have IBEA and um, U.S. Integrity there as you know operators are mandated to use those services if you want to have a license in Ontario you have to work with an integrity monitor but it's the athlete education that's the other side of that that's not an operator um, responsibility Um, But I know, for example, the CFL takes that very seriously and they do invest in in the training. So I think it's, you know, part of the ongoing awareness and education that the CGA is certainly, you know, trying to spearhead um, across sort of the entire landscape of Ontario and the rest of Canada when it comes to pointing out the benefits of a regulated market, but also the need for ongoing education and awareness uh, for every single stakeholder um that has a touch point to this industry and so players and I think you know going back to the Shane Pinto example, um you know, it's really the leagues having to also step up to the plate. You know, I know IBEA has invested in creating some education material. Um, and there are certainly organizations that are willing and able to come out and start offering training programs um, for players uh, for organizations. Because I think with the prevalence of sports betting in the states now, We've got a legal market here in Ontario. Um, This isn't really a nice-to-have anymore. It's a must-have.
1: Couldn't agree more, Amanda. And we are absolutely going to come back to Pinto and the NHL. But being respectful for Jean-Francois' time, and I suspect uh, he maybe doesn't have the hockey passion that some of our listeners do, um, I I wanted to ask you, Jean-Francois, as you go about your education and curriculum, what are a few kind of questions that keep coming up from athletes um, that you can maybe use us, use for us as an example to tell us like just how kind of naive they may be about what's going on.
2: Well, I, I think uh, the, the, the most common is really, I mean, what I, I came across the most, the more often is that they had absolutely no idea what the rules of their sport was in terms of whether or not they can bet on their games or they can bet on other competition um and uh and i think when you're a professional athlete you really don't pay i mean before the start of the season you don't go through the whole regulation of your league particularly in u.s sports when you have a cba that is uh, potentially 600 pages long and uh, read all the provisions and all the things that you you can face so to, to me, the, and, and that's why I'm, when we're talking about education, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be uh, incredible. It just has to be straight on point. Like, what are the rules of my league? What should I do? And what should I not do? And then comes the question of reporting. And how do you report? Because if you in the Pinto in the Pinto case, we're not talking about match fixing. We're talking about something else. We're talking about someone who probably didn't know the rules, who probably didn't even bet on his own games or uh, ice hockey games. So it's, it's just knowing the rules that, you know, that are, that can be implemented and um, that can have an impact on his career. And, and then it's, yeah, when we are talking about match fixing, we are talking about somebody approaching an athlete to fix the outcome of the match. And this is most of the time, a really, really tiny portion of the fixing case because it takes first of all a lot of money to corrupt uh, a well-paid athlete less money to corrupt a, a not well-paid athlete um but it takes time it takes resources it's it's also a question of trust between the person who's trying to approach the athlete and the athlete itself and uh it's not that simple to fix a match and to use athletes and there is also something from the match fixer themselves and that's what i find out What i've done this documentary is that they, they, they want to make sure that if they give money to someone, the athlete is going to deliver what they are expecting them to deliver. So it's another set of problems and that's where they're creating like this pressure. But to to be fair, uh, I, I think the, the basic training is to just know the rules. And that's the basic question that we are having in those sessions. or we had in the past in those sessions was like, what can I do and what am I allowed to do? And if I need to report something, where can I do it safely, so I don't harm my career, and I, I do it in an environment that it's safe enough to protect me as a whistleblower? And that's really it. Not everybody is a whistleblower, so you have to give them the opportunity to report in a way where they are protected.
1: So this this whole implementation of integrity is a it, it is not as straightforward as it as you would like it to be. A lot of it because of the pressures that are on some of these athletes, you know, in various places around the world. Um, you know, even ignorance aside, um, I mean, they may they may play in a place where you know they can't be a whistleblower for whatever reason. Jean-Francois Raymond, former professional athlete, educational ambassador with the International Betting Integrity Association. Thank you very much for joining us and for educating us on the great work that you're doing and how you're implementing that in Canada. You're welcome to hang around. And uh, speak your mind on any number of topics that we may have next on the agenda. But thanks very much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. And, and I will extend my, you know, the, the message that I gave at the beginning. We are still looking for potential uh, delivery partners, whether they are federations or sports club in Canada. And we have some some money to do some work. So, um, so yeah, like if they are taking part of the podcast today, well, feel, feel free to reach out to me and we'll be happy to start a conversation.
1: Yeah, and I'll say that even though Steve can't speak for himself today, definitely reach out to Steve. He's one of the most connected people in the sports and media business in Canada that you will find. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin & Harcourt LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R.com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. Let's continue to talk a little bit about the NHL. I think Amanda and Phil, I'll lean on you. Mike, if you want to jump in, uh, happy to have you. And if anyone else who's just listening as a, a strong opinion about, about the NHL's uh, recent action uh, with Shane Pinto. Happy to have your voice as well. I think just to start off the conversation, and this is this is actually just disappointing, the lack of transparency and information on many topics that's come out of the NHL in the last number of years is very troublesome as uh, media professionals uh, and gaming industry professionals, as, as the people are that are participating on this forum and listening to it but Amanda. I always love to start with you. Any surprise with the lack of information we're hearing about what 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 actually? Uh,
3: yeah, happened? sadly, no. And I think it's so unfortunate because they've almost made it sound like he's got some like gambling addiction problem because they won't disclose. I mean, they didn't. They say he didn't bet on NHL games, but they won't talk about what caused the suspension. And you know, someone else is popping up saying you know TSN is saying that it might have been that someone else had access to his account, but. How could he have created an account? Because operators have lists of names of people who can't open accounts. And if he'd been trying to open one with a operator who was paying attention, assuming he's, you know, this is with a regulated operator um, who's following proper KYC processes. Anyway, it's all clear as mud. Um, and I think it does a great disservice because... You know, you would understand the black and white of you can't bet on your own games or you can't bet on league games. That's pretty clear cut. But because they're not disclosing exactly what he did, uh, I I think if I, I would be a little bit, you know, not just confused, but, you know, scared at this point in time, because what caused the suspension? What could he have possibly done that, you know, warranted, you know, what half a season that he's about to sit out? So yeah i i i don't know why nhl can't get out of its own way with stuff like this
0: i'll I'll offer you know uh, uh, absolutely an opinion here it kind of goes to the le- leadership in the nhl and uh you know how how um new york uh runs the business there they, they've always done it that way and i would echo uh, amanda's um you know comment that uh I, I mean i'm not pointing fingers but how did he even sign up at a book uh you know regulated or not i mean i uh, yeah, I can go back 10 years. He he wouldn't got into a lot of books. I know he would have been flagged right away. And, uh, you know, and what, what is their policy? I mean, if you, if, you know, if you want to place a couple of parlays on NFL games, I mean, why does that matter? But I mean, it goes to, if you let them sign up, you know, then you can block them from, from, uh, act, you know, actually betting ice hockey. Everybody has that tool. You know, you can let them go bet basketball, NHL, you know, if he's just a, regular recreational gambler so again you know the nhl silence on you know what was he involved in and, and why a 41 game suspension i mean that's that's massive i mean they don't give that for headshots but uh, you know he was placing a couple bets and he gets 41 games so it's very interesting and uh, and disappointing as uh, as but not surprising as amanda said on on how the nhl operates would anyone
1: care to speculate that what this player did was maybe a little worse than what we're even being told about at this point. And, and I'm saying that in integrated in a context of we have a new owner of a franchise who's paid a billion dollars for, for a franchise that uh, now I'll, I'm a Leaf fan, so I'll start there. But uh, for a franchise that has, a, has had a checkered uh, history, both on the ice and off the ice, they have another, and this is more about the sports side, not the gaming side. You know, they have another infraction related to a player transaction from a couple of years ago that's just come to light where they, I believe they've lost a first-round draft pick. So do you think that the NHL is having some compassion on, uh, on Mr. Ann Lauer by only handing out a 41-game suspension in this case?
3: I think Ryan Reynolds is really happy that his consortium didn't end up winning this club at this point in time. That's the only thing I can say. This is, <laughs> this is like the the, the forty one games is so severe that you can only assume whatever he did was very severe. But other than you know him taking money to throw a game, you know, like what else could it have been? I, my assumption is he's paid well enough; he doesn't have to take a you know. A money bag from anyone to, to do anything so I don't know. yeah clear as mud and it doesn't help the situation
0: I mean, I, I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't offer any gossip but just again from my own opinion I would suspect that uh if some of his wagering may may have been involved with someone that uh you know is um, how shall we say off the grid um but again 41 games I mean it's Steve can attest to this I mean you, you, there's been players you know that have driven a guy head through first through the boards and ended his career and get didn't get 41 games. So very interesting.
1: Okay. So I'm sure we could talk a lot about the NHL, but let's, let's uh, turn our attention to another topic, which many operators and uh, Canadians, at least in the province of Alberta uh, might be paying attention to, in addition to the professional sports teams in the province of Alberta. And that is uh, a new regime, an open market, perhaps in Alberta recently, the provincial government has made some statements, as Steve has covered in depth in today's uh, edition of the newsletter. So, I mean, I'll, I'll leave the question open: like, where and when uh, is this announcement going to be made about Al- Alberta joining a regime similar to Ontario's?
3: Well, didn't didn't you see that big, huge, you know, flag that they lifted up the flagpole in that throne speech? Wasn't it clear to everyone <laughs> that they're going to be doing something? Um, all joking aside, I did talk to my contact. Uh, at the AGCO AML contact at the AGCO uh, two weeks ago, and he did confirm Alberta would be opening, just not you know in the time frame anyone you know in the early days uh, were were speculating about. You know Alberta is going to have to you know as I said before Alberta has to figure out a model that will work for Alberta. You know that whole conduct and manage that uniquely Canadian sort of you know set of standards that every province has means every province interprets it differently so Ontario's interpreted it in the way that we have IGO conduct and manages the market for us who knows how alberta is going to interpret it but it's not just a matter of taking the ontario model and slapping it down over there they also have a lottery corporation that is both a regulator and a lottery corporation that isn't going to work for any operator so until they figure out what they're going to do with alberta gaming liquor and cannabis, um, how they're going to reconstitute that, it's going to be really hard to move forward with um, you know, a set of standards or any clear information. So all I can say is believe that there is a process that is churning away behind the scenes, but I can't see Alberta being very forthright with anything. Um, until some sort of not really interesting to the rest of us, but really important to get their market open, decisions get made. So I think they'll be kind of plugging away at the, You, you saw they're trying to exit out of CPP. They've got a bunch of other things going on, um, but they are they are serious about this. They did have people when I was out in Nova, uh, in Edmonton last November meeting with some of the government representatives. Some of those same people were down at G two E in October. Um, talking to different suppliers so you know things are things are happening it's just you know we're a ways away from getting more definitive comments coming out of the government
0: yeah i went through the yeah. uh, the ontario compliance process and it's a it's a task guys i mean it's, i i know amanda knows uh, you know boy the, the it's resource driven and and the tech resources that are required on a daily um, basis to match um, what is required Ontario if I mean if Alberta or any other province wants to go down that road it's not something that's done overnight I mean Ontario had uh, that plan and you know in the works for a couple of years before they released it to the books to um, to go through that process and, and comply really uh, you know monumental task it's it, it takes a lot of resources again it's it's not an overnight thing
1: when we're thinking about the market in Canada and Ontario, We obviously have uh, many operators who were operating nationally in Canada prior to regulation in Ontario, who have joined the the Ontario regime. We have other operators who started their endeavors in Ontario and have since made their way across Canada in the grey market. And then we have a few, which I'll mention, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars, The Score, who are all sitting here in Ontario, many of which... Have attached themselves to national sports broadcasts. Those sponsorships are generally meaningless outside of Ontario. So, what are what are they thinking as Alberta continues to wait and other provinces? You know, we just don't have clarity on when where they're at.
3: I know. Um, I was just on a call um, with some of the operators because the AGCO is initiating a series of roundtables um, consultations on their their advertising standards, the new standards that are going to come into effect, which bans you know athletes, retired athletes, celebrities, and a whole bunch of other things, unless they're in RG ads. Um, and out of all the complaints that surfaced last year um, about broadcast um, sports Sports betting ads. Um, a lot of them, the vast majority of them were coming from outside the province of Ontario. And again, you know, Edmonton last year sitting in a restaurant, and there was, I'm not picking on Bet Rivers, but it was a Bet Rivers ad with the IGO logo. So we know it was a licensed and regulated operator in the province of Ontario, but just the way that they package, you know, their programming, it gets beamed across the province. So you're sitting in any other province and you're seeing Ontario ads, which are legal in this province, but not in others. So you understand what why those provinces are are getting a little bit hot under the collar. And I know after my panel at G2E, I had someone from the International Lotteries Corporation approach me and wanted to know what AGCO was going to do to keep operators from doing business in other provinces. And there's a very easy answer to that, which is the AGCO can only conduct and manage and regulate what happens within the borders of Ontario. It cannot dictate to anyone outside of Ontario, you know, what the standards are, or what the rules are. So even, you know, to this day, there are still people in other provinces kind of scratching their heads and wondering why Ontario can't do anything to kick out the gray market activity in other provinces. Um, and, you know, this is a, an old can I, kick, I keep kicking down the road. But, you know, the answer to that is you have to open your market up and regulate as many operators as will come, we'll come in and then put in a set of standards, you know, that, that say so really the only way to to deal with it now. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, the hope is, you know, before I either retire or die, um, we will at least have Alberta, BC and Quebec, which are the kind of other three provinces with enough population to sort of warrant standing up a market that operators would be interested in. Um, I hope that they will finally kind of swallow (laughs) whatever bitter pill they have to swallow. And then, you know, just jump on this bandwagon, because, you know, Steve was really good at you know repeating Dave Pridmore's quote about OLG actually succeeding in this market and succeeding very handily in this market. So in fact, the opening of the market, you know, that rising tide did float all boats, including lottery corporation ones in this case.
1: Hopefully uh, well before your retirement, Amanda, we don't like to talk about the other example you gave there. Now getting on to some of the other of headlines and there were certainly a lot, Steve was quite thorough today. When we think about the marketing rules and the advertising rules and their pending change in a few months, I mean, I, I did have a conversation. Uh, my sources will will remain anonymous on this one. I did have a conversation with an operator who does legally operate in Ontario and in the grey and the rest of Canada. And the subject was around putting inducements into content that may not be specifically targeted to the province of Ontario. And the response, and it was a quick one, was no. So for me, that was a very positive thing to hear. Now, at the same time, and I don't watch Sportsnet or TSN enough, so I can't speak with 100% certainty on this, but I recall since the beginning of the NHL season, the Bodog commercials have found their way onto my television. And unless I missed it, I don't think Bodog is regulated in the province of Ontario yet. So where do we stand on this inducements, the, the gray, the, the black market, have we made any progress since we talked about this last well that I mean, yeah, that
0: that's nothing new I mean it, it speaks specifically to bodog i mean they've they've been advertising on t s n for jeez what a decade <laughs> you know so uh yeah that that's 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 an interesting one and you do see you know a number of other and you've seen it over the years another what what we're you know supposed to be uh you know, uh, unregulated books, uh, you know, illegal, criminal. You know, books that were you know um, vilified in the media, advertising on in on C- in Canadian sports media. It's nothing new. Um, it's interesting that uh, that you know the big networks still take their money and and put them on.
1: And do we have a consensus on who actually, what governing body of any sort has oversight on this? None. We're just yeah. talking about it. You'd
3: have to go and sort of position the government of Ontario to change their at uh, their laws right so right now .net advertising is legal in Ontario um so that would be sort of you know whether through the CGA or some of the um, operators lobbyists to go put a business <sighs> case together with with the government and just say we have to update you know the market's been open enforcement remains an issue you know we're still seeing unlicensed operators advertising freely um, so either the broadcasters have to refuse to accept the ads um, and or, you know, we, we get the laws updated um, in Ontario so that .NET advertising is now illegal.
0: .NET, has, that, that was always the, uh, as, as Amanda just pointed out, was, was always the way around uh, in, in Canada. You know, we had many offers over the years. You can do this and you can do that. Just uh, create a .NET and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take your money up. That, that's something we always refused Um, but that, again, that's been around for, you know, boy past decade and a half.
1: So thanks for the conversation on these pieces, everyone. And Phil, to really celebrate your 20 plus years at sports interaction and give you a chance to give us some of your, your origin story, we'd like you to just take us on a little stroll down memory lane. And if you can relate it back to your job in a couple of ways for us, one is, you know, just the process of setting odds and trading, how that aligns, how that has evolved, and and the other piece um, because it is very topical. Cause I've, I've been speaking to you know, customers of our sister company, you know, Parley Media Group, and um, and talking about how you know the NHL is not really moving the handle right now. It's really the NFL. So I'm sure uh, as you talk talk about your story, uh, bring in a narrative around the NFL and how that really, well, from what I'm hearing, drives the bus in this industry in in Ontario anyway
0: yeah it's certainly certainly been an evolution and um boy a a, a fun one I, I was mentioning to Steve uh the other day uh at the end of my tenure here uh never really felt like a job but you know I started in 2003 um online gaming had just you know started to uh you know it was just getting into the heyday of what we called the wild west era Um, You know, the United States really hadn't taken notice yet as to, you know, what was happening. I remember um, this actually my, uh, I think it was my first football season or the beginning of my second one. Um, BOS or Bet on Sports, who were, you know, the kings of offshore at that time operating out of Costa Rica, they were parking greyhounds in front of NFL stadiums with with computers on board that you could, you know, go in and deposit and place bets. And then it was uh, just shortly thereafter, the famous Forbes cover. where Kelvin went on, you know, kicking up his heels, and he was a billionaire, uh, catch me if you can. Well, di- didn't the Department of Justice of the United States at, at that time uh, say, well, we're going to try? And it was, you know, 2006 when UEGA was passed, uh, the un- Unlawful Internet Enforcement Gaming Act, which prohibited American financial institutions from accepting gaming transactions. And at that time, you know, that, that was passed on the back of a port bill, uh, at midnight, uh, you know, as as an add-on, a port security bill, I believe it was, in the Bush administration. And overnight, you know, at that time, it doesn't seem like a lot now, but it was. I mean, that, online gaming was a $20 billion industry in the United States. You know, all, all the uh, offshore operators that were facing the U.S. And some of them were the biggest US, uh, um, European books. You know, all uh, uh, name names, Will Hill, uh, 365. You know, uh, lots of them, you know, were offering uh, what was considered... Illegal gaming to U.S. residents, and uh, you know, went from there. Uh, they seized NetTeller, which was Canadian-owned, which was the number one e-wallet at that time. You know, eighty or ninety percent of transactions went through there. Uh, the two of the, the two Canadian operators traveled to the states uh, one weekend and and were uh, were arrested and convicted, and all those all that money was seized. So it's you know, it's been a lot of fun uh, and a lot of challenges. Uh, you go through. You know, the early two thousand. You know, the, the second half of of, of uh, twenty ten to twenty fifteen, a little bit quiet. But we saw the eventuality of regular of uh, you know regulated gaming coming in North America. And you know, a lot of books pulled out of the North uh, out of the U.S. market. We were one. Um, you know, seeing what was coming and putting ourselves in a position to be you know a good corporate citizen and being able to participate in in North and you know Canadian gaming. Some didn't um and and stayed there and 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 made the big cash grab yeah so it's so much going on over the last 20 years nfl um yeah i mean it's not our biggest handle but um it's certainly the biggest revenue driver in terms of you know clients coming in and on any given you know like with any given sunday uh take more on an nfl game than you know you would in nhl and you know two saturday nights
1: Yeah, it's good context. And congratulations on the career, Phil. And as long as you're available, we, of course, look very forward to the opportunities that we have to bring you into our forum here with Gaming News Canada. So you can share your insights and perspective on on, on an awesome uh, and ongoing run in the Canadian gaming industry. Amanda. Uh, you've also had a change and Steve, Steve shared that last week on the show. So I just wanted to give you a chance to address the audience on the transition in your world. And, um, and of course the same applies to Amanda. She's been an awesome, awesome supporter of everything that Steve has built around gaming news Canada. Since his early days as the Parley newsletter, you couldn't have paid it forward enough with us. So uh, we absolutely appreciate and cherish the time that you spend with us. And uh, we know that you're going to be great. And um, just, uh, Sorry to see whatever change happened with Kindred, but what's your story? Uh,
3: Yeah, so it's bittersweet. I I love my job, um, but, you know, like 47 operators in this market, and there's probably five of them that have most of the market share, and that's like, you know, at least 40, you know, of them struggling to, uh, you know, and fighting for the rest of it. And, you know, it's a heavy compliance market. It's, it's, you know, the number of people you need just to, as Phil was saying, just to keep up with the compliance requirements uh, is enormous. Um, so, um, it, you know, the parting is very amicable um, and I wish them nothing but the best of luck. Um, but it's kind of probably going to be the start of some other changes going on with the company. It was publicly announced that the company underwent a strategic review back in the spring and we've lost the CEO and the CFO as well. Um, So expect that there'll be some uh, announcements coming out for their um, revised Q3 at the end of November. Um, and we'll see what will happen to to the company. But I love my colleagues, um, some really smart and talented people working there. So, yes, I am uh, I'm a bit of a free agent right now. And I'm going to take a bit of time to consider what my next steps are. Because part of the challenge is, I mean, I, I don't think, and this is my personal opinion, I don't think operators who don't have licenses yet in Ontario should really really need to think long and hard about whether they understand the market well enough to bother coming in right now um and i think that's sort of where i was joking with victor bigios we could you know charge 20,000 and save them 2 million by spending 15 minutes explaining what it's like to operate here and you know just save them a lot of heartache and money you know and and not come in the market right now i think this market needs to stabilized it's not there yet i think this will be a great market in two to three years when there are more process improvements when things are more automated um and when you know we've kind of stabilized that you know maybe half of what's in the market now will be the long term you know able to survive able to succeed and and be profitable in ontario so it's it's a tough market um so yeah i'm going to uh, do some christmas shopping uh I'm <laughs> gonna go spend some time with people I haven't seen in a while and I'm gonna continue to uh, support this industry however I can because I really believe in it I'm really quite proud of it and I think there's still a lot of good things to come
0: well well said Amanda and I just add um, mark that you know sometimes in the in this industry uh you know it's the tortoise and the hare and uh, as Amanda said I think you're gonna see you know uh, in a couple of years um perhaps the field will clear a bit and uh you know the who, you know, I wouldn't say the strongest are going to stand, but you know, the ones, the ones that you know certainly have a little bit more vision rather than the, the just, you know, the quick cash grab. Uh, I've, I've seen that so many times over the years, and it's certainly going to apply to Ontario. I would also add, you know, what the the uh, the offshore uh, the offshore uh, gray uh, books are—they're not going anywhere, and and in some instances, I know are uh, um, you know are growing. Um, so it's going to be an interesting back and forth over the next few years and see where everything goes. But uh, again, you know, it, you know, as Amanda was saying, it's, it's cost effectiveness. It's the same thing happened with Sports Interaction and being acquired by, you know, by an FTSE company. Uh, you know, it's cost effectiveness. It's, just, you know, it, there's only so much market share there and you're competing against, you know, brands that are coming in, spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and and operating in the red, a lot of them. So. You know, for, for companies that that come in and acquire, you know, smaller books like, like ours, uh, you know, why not just merge, Um, you know, and, and cut your costs and, and see what you can do with it. And, and again, I, I wish, you know, at the company that Antean that acquired us, best of luck with what they can do with Sports Interaction. We, we provided them with a great brand and, uh, you know, we'll see
1: what happens. Well, I could speak from... firsthand knowledge that sports interaction is definitely making waves um, more than any other operator at this at this moment certainly other operators in the past in this market already have made bigger waves Um, you know my my own is my opinion um, based on really the cannabis industry and and I know now what I'm hearing in the news and reading is um, is that the market for uh, legalized distribution of cannabis in this province was grossly uh, overestimated and uh, and we know what's happened there to both the stocks and the retail outlets uh, that are in many places very close to the Parley meeting group was actually. In the oh, this is the
0: same in our industry. You know, some of the some of the projected uh, margins that uh, were coming out that were expected were you know I, I'll, I'll be frank. You, you kidding me? <laughs> uh, yeah. So exactly the same thing, Mark. In our industry, exactly the same thing.
1: Yeah, I I'm hopeful, optimistic that. Um, as long as it's in the spirit of fun and making people, whether it's the game or having fun on the casino properties or some of the new markets that, you know, will be created around, you know, award shows and the Met Gala. I mean, there's a lot of fun that can be had.
0: Well, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's that's, that's entirely another conversation. And, uh, um, the boy, you know, the sports book model, um, right now that, uh, you know, um, all the you know, the books that are coming in regulated books, um, boy, uh, you're you're allowed to lose, but you're not allowed to win, um, sort of thing. Um, that and that's a business decision, absolutely. And uh, every business makes that decision. I think what you're going to see, and I'm starting to see it now, um, with some of the exchange companies that are coming out, um, where you know um, gamblers who who you know are, would be considered more professional that um, that you know. of the books will not accept their action. I think that could be, you know, something that's going to be absolutely, um, a competitive factor. I don't think North Americans quite now understand the concept of an exchange. Um, you know, North Americans more. I bet I, I win or lose. It's not about, you know, trading money and, and, and buying, um, commodities, sporting events, which, which they are, um, at different prices and, and moving around from there with with larger stakes and and you know being allowed to win which you know quite frankly you're you're not allowed to do right now at
1: a um, regulated Canadian sports book yeah, and these are some of the topics thanks for bringing them up Phil that Steve and I um, learned about at our at the uh, at GDE a few weeks ago and there we will have many a uh, gaming news canada episode uh, which focuses on these areas of opportunity and growth that that we have yet to to see here in the in the Ontario market so, to, before we close, I do want to mention a couple other news stories from the last week or so. So, um, the folks at uh, at Northstar Gaming, um, they uh, they have announced that the their funding uh, round with uh, with Playtech has been completed, uh, so to speak. The cash is in the bank, um, which will absolutely help them continue on, on the journey. Another one which we're following now. Unfortunately, I don't have a cable box in my house, so I don't have access to the Game Plus television network. But on Game Plus, um, the Hockey News has started a pregame NHL show, I believe, on Saturday nights. So I, I can't be certain who the sponsor is. I know that BetMGM is already um, working uh, with the Hockey News on sponsorship of content on their on their digital platform. So maybe for those of you who are watching, you might find a sports book behind that sponsorship. You know, other than that, I think it's a, it's a relatively nice fall day here in Toronto. I wish my good friend Steve a swift recovery of his voice, because as a, as a hockey coach, which is I'm sure that's how he lost it, that voice is really needed. And um I'll, I'll repeat what Steve always says at the end of the shows. So, you know, thank thanks for joining us, Amanda, Phil, Jean Francois, who's now departed the the actual uh you know, the, the, the actual session, but thank thank him as well. This live show will be converted into a a podcast by yours truly in, over the coming days. It should be available for your re-listening pleasures on Monday. To follow Steve uh, best, it's, you go to gamingnewscanada.ca and sign up for the newsletter. And you can also have links to uh, Gaming News Canada's LinkedIn there, which is also an amazing place to follow us. Enjoy the beginning of November. Hopefully there is no snow where, where you are right now, but I do welcome snow soon. I'm getting my winter tires on tomorrow. Be well, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.